Let's start with a question. What can miserable Christians sing? In fact, are we even allowed to be miserable as Christians? Surely we have no right to be miserable if we truly understand who God is and what God has done for us. No, that's not right. Nevertheless, we have a bit of a culture within the church that means we can end up feeling a bit of a fake or a failure when we're feeling down. Does that ring any bells? Feeling like a fake or a failure? Well, you're neither a fake or a failure when you feel down. It's part of the normal Christian experience to be down or to be hurting. And this evening, we're looking at Psalm 42. And Psalm 42 is a song that a miserable Christian can sing. So let's, let's read that psalm now. It's in the middle of your Bibles on page 576. And this is God's word. It's living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls the deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is God's word. Psalm 42 is one of the lament psalms, where the psalmist cries out to the Lord for deliverance from his situation. I've given this evening's sermon the title of Hurting But Hopeful. The psalmist, although he is hurting because of the situation he is in, continually reminds himself that his only hope is found in God. Let me say that again. The psalmist, although he is hurting because of the situation he's in, continually reminds himself that his only hope is found in God. So this evening, we're going to look through the psalm in two sections. Firstly, 
we're going to look at his hurt. And then secondly, we'll look at the Christian response to hurt, which is one of hope. So if you've closed your Bibles, please open them up again. So page 567. And look with me at the text and, and see why the psalmist is hurting, why this guy is miserable. Now, there are many reasons in life for people hurting. And we're going to look at just three of the reasons that come from the psalm. The guy who wrote the psalm was hurting because he was dry, he was drowning, and he was derided. So the first reason why the psalmist is hurting is that he is spiritually dry. Look with me at verse 1. We recognize these familiar words. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. We've just sung that song with those words. And the song goes on with many true expressions about God. And from the tune, it seems so positive and happy. And it's, it seems like an expression about desiring God that everyone should strive for. But we mustn't let the spirit of the song and the tuneful melody determine what we think of those words. Instead, we must read the whole psalm and let the context of these verses within the psalm determine our understanding. So what's the context for these verses? Let me point out to you from this, this psalm who the psalmist is and also where he is. Now, in your Bibles, you should see at the top underneath Psalm 42, a subtitle which says, For the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Now these sons of Korah were responsible for leading the praise and worship in the, the temple in Jerusalem. They're kind of your, your worship band. But although they're normally based in Jerusalem, we also know that that's not where they are now. If you look with me at verse 6, Where is he? My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, and from Mount Mizar. So he's not in Jerusalem. Now, no one seems to know where Mount Mizar is, but we do know where the, the Hermon mountain range is. It's about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. So beyond modern-day Israel, and kind of sandwiched between modern-day Syria and Lebanon. And even today, this area is, is desolate. There's little habitation there. So the psalmist is remembering God because he's no longer near God's temple. He's far from the city, far from his family, far from one of those, those people who can encourage him, the fellow believers. Instead, he's in this barren, mountainous reason. Let's, let's look again at, at verse 1. The deer pants for streams of water because it is desperate for some source of moisture that will allow him to survive. The deer that is well fed and ample opportunities from cool crystal waters, it doesn't pant because you're not desperate for the things that you have in an abundance. As the deer is desperate for the water that it needs and is missing, so the psalmist is crying out to God because he is desperate, wants to see and know God who seems completely absent 
in this place of exile. Let me illustrate this for you. As a child, I suffered from asthma. With asthma, there are certain triggers that makes the, the inside of your lungs swell up so that uh, the air can't get to, to your bloodstream. And I remember having a number of asthma attacks as a child where I'd literally ending up panting and wheezing. I was panting for the air that was all around me, and yet I couldn't get it into my lungs. So similarly, the psalmist here is panting for God. Panting for God that's all around him, because God is the, the omnipresent creator. And yet, he's panting for God because he can't feel him. Let's come back to the text. The psalmist's desperation is clear from his cry in verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, the English Standard Version, another accurate and modern translation, phrases this question slightly differently, which makes the meaning clearer. The ESV, the psalmist asks, When shall I come and appear before God? His question is essentially, When will you let me die? You only appear before God for judgment after death. In Genesis, we find the account of Jacob wrestling with God in the dark. And he names that place Peniel because he saw God face to face and yet his life was spared. So this psalmist is so desperate that he feels like he would rather die than continue in the wilderness with no assurance of God and his presence. So let me ask you this evening. Are you like the psalmist and feeling spiritually dry? Are you, are you hurting because you feel away from God? You felt close before, knowing his love, his comfort, but now feel lonely, isolated, deserted, forgotten. Let me say, it's okay to feel like that. You're not a fake you're not a failure. And as Christians, it's okay to feel like that, when, especially when you don't feel like praising God. So secondly, this guy's hurting because he feels like he's drowning. It's another water metaphor, but instead of no water, this time there's too much water. Look at verse 7. Deep course are deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. So the psalmist moves from the, the imagery of the, the dry and dusty deserts where water is scarce to the imagery of a raging river. Silence and isolation is replaced by the roar of water hurtling down the gully. But the psalmist is not placing himself as a, a tourist looking at this beautiful scene. Instead, he's feeling like he's in the water, submerged, being battered around, and being completely overwhelmed by the waves. And if you read the whole of this psalm, this description of the roar of the waterfalls and the incessant waves is matched by the recurring questions that he asks throughout the psalm. Verse 2, When can I go meet with God? 
Verse 5, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Verse 9, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? As there is no relief from the incessant roar of the waterfall, there is no let up in the psalmist's feeling of pain, and so no answer to his constant stream of questions. Can you feel the relentless nature of this man's pain? He's saying, why, 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 why? It can be similar for us. We're not at war. We're not facing an enemy who's constantly trying to capture or, or kill us. But whether the context is work or family or church life or even our own personal battle with holiness, we can end up feeling trapped and angry and resentful, drowning in our own troubles. No relief, no quick solution, and seemingly no lifeboats coming to rescue you and take you away from your troubles. But this psalm is in the Bible. It's here for us to use, and it's for our benefit. This psalm gives us permission to express these feelings to God. And let me reassure you, as a brief aside, that it's not sinful to be troubled or distressed. I know in John 14, you've got it, uh, the bit where Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. But that Jesus is talking with a different reason. His disciples um, don't yet understand the cross. They don't understand why Jesus is going to die. Whereas in Matthew's gospel, Jesus himself says, Oh, it records that Jesus himself began to be greatly troubled and distressed. So if Jesus was greatly troubled and distressed, yet still sinless, then it's definitely okay for us too. So thirdly, the psalmist is hurting because he is derided. His faith is being questioned and mocked. Look with me at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? And then scan down to verse 10. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? I don't think I need to explain how hurtful it can be to have your your faith mocked and attacked directly. But the psalmist here is describing it as his bones suffering mortal agony seems to suggest that this was opposition at the highest scale. Now, our friends might not be so bold as to attack our faith directly, but certainly it sometimes feels like any element of trouble or distress in our lives seems to be taken as proof that either God doesn't exist or that he doesn't care. But we know that our God is real. He is good. He is loving. And he's shown that love for all people everywhere by the sacrifice and victory of the cross. So it's always going to be hard when we stand up for our faith, when we stand out in our schools or our workplaces, at the, the mums and the tollers group or the bowling club, and we're willing to give glory to God for the things he has done, but only to be faced with skepticism and derision. 
So most of Psalm 42 is the desperate cry of a man who is hurting and alienated. Yet his words are in the Bible. Do you get it? You are allowed to feel hurt as a Christian. No one should criticize you or question your faith because you are down. Now the reason we can be both depressed and a Christian is the gospel. We must always remember that we are not saved by what we do, but by what has been done for us. Our joy, our praise, our conscientious Bible reading, our obedience to God's word, they're all good, they're great things, but they're not what saves us. We are only saved by the one person who truly lived a sinless life and the one person who died for sins that were not his own. It's the work of Jesus that saves us. So we can still be a Christian, trusting Jesus for our salvation, yet also hurting or even depressed because of our circumstances. So this psalm gives us permission to express these hurts and these frustrations to God. This psalm is a song that miserable Christians can sing. However, that does not mean that being Christian makes no difference. No, having a relationship with the sovereign, loving creator and saviour should make all the difference. So whilst hurting is part of life, hope is the Christian response. And the response of hope is found in verse 5. So look with me at verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. I think this little verse is brilliant. It's worth memorising. The psalmist here is giving us a key as to how to address and respond to our hurts. And let me say that if you're not hurting, that's still worth taking notes because times of hurt will come to us all. So, what the, the psalmist is doing here is reminding himself to hope in the midst of his hurts. The Bible's not here as a self-help guide. We won't learn from this psalm how to fix our hurts or make them not hurt. But the psalmist does here provide us a pattern to help us keep our focus on God. So this pattern is question, command, commit. He questions himself, he commands himself, and then he commits himself. Look at the first part of verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? The psalmist questions himself. He examines the reasons for his state of despondency. So our first response is to ask questions of ourselves. Why am I downcast? Why is my soul disturbed? Has something changed? Or is this long term? Is it a product of of something that uh, I have done? Or is it something that's happened to me? Are there physical factors involved? Is it because of my diet or my exercise or lack of it? Or is it something about my own sinful behavior that's the root of this problem? 
There's no end of questions that you can ask of yourself. But asking questions is not an end in itself. The psalmist is not giving you an invitation for introspection. We're not just to perpetually mull and ask questions over why things are wrong. So having asked questions, there needs to be action. So secondly, the psalmist commands himself. Look again at verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Notice that he's addressing himself here. Although it says, put your hope in God, the person he's directing his words at is himself. The first line shows that he's talking to his own soul. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a commentator and a pastor from London, commentated on this verse and said, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? So we should be people who talk the gospel to ourselves rather than listening to ourselves. But the psalmist here doesn't command himself to pull himself together. He doesn't command himself to just not let these things hurt him. No, he commands himself to hope in God. He commands himself to hope in God because he knows that that's not the natural inclination of his heart. We are justified by Christ's work on the cross. Yes. We are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Are being sanctified, sorry, through the Holy Spirit. Yes. But our natural tendencies will still be sinful. So we need to fight our natural tendency to wallow in despondency. And we need to actively fight to put our hope in God rather than other things. But if we're to command ourselves to hope in God like the psalmist does, what exactly are we hoping in? The psalmist, however, illustrates this for us. The psalmist puts his hope in the God who he has known in the past. He does this in verse 4, where he remembers his joy in serving God. And how people would come in crowds together to praise God. So as the psalmist hopes in God, as he remembers the things God has done in his life, so we can hope in the God who's done those things in our life. The hope in the God who saved us and the God who's been with us over time. The psalm also shows how we can continue to hope in God by telling us about God and his unchanging character. Verse 2 says that we have a living God. Verse 9 says we have a God who is our rock, steadfast, strong, and unmovable. And verse 8 gives us more on this God in whom we hope. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. God is present with us day and night, and his love for us is steadfast. We need to remind ourselves that although our love for God is wavering, it goes up and down with our emotions, his love for us is steadfast, unconditional and unchanging. But what if you are so down that even the idea of hoping in God seems like such an unachievable target? 
Or can we really tell the person who is down that they must put their hope in God? Yes, we can, and yes, we must. Because what else can you hope in? Our friends might be able to make us feel a little better, and we may be able to do certain things in our own strength, but ultimately it's only God who can truly understand your hurts, and it's only God ultimately who can save you. So coming back to, to verse 5, how does the psalmist finish? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. So the psalmist now commits himself. Given the, the situation we, the psalmist is in that we looked at earlier, it would be reasonable to think that praising God is the last thing that he feels like doing. As the natural tendency of sinful man is to drift away from hoping in God, so the natural tendency will be not to praise God, but to wallow in our despondency, focus in on our own situation, and be tempted to self-pity. But can you see the psalmist's determination to praise God? I will yet, or even I shall again praise him. It's like he's clenching his fist smacking the table saying whatever happens I'm not going to let my circumstances get the better of me I will praise God because he is worthy to be praised and funnily enough this determination is self-fulfilling in saying that he is already glorifying God we glorify God by putting him at the center of our lives not just by singing songs to him and the psalmist is glorifying God for the most important thing of all, his salvation. We glorify God for who he is and because he has saved us. We deserve God's wrath, but instead receive God's mercies. And we have that sure hope of heaven because what Jesus did for us. And who is the psalmist going to praise? Still verse 5. Not just a saviour, or even the God, but my God, my God, the God who saved me, has taken me for his own, forgiven my sins, and given me Jesus' righteousness. That is who we are to praise. In conclusion, let me say it again. Hurting is the normal experience for any Christian, but the Christian response is one of hope. So let me commend you this verse to you again. Memorize this verse. Give it a go. It is a great verse to memorize. And it will help you when others or yourself go through future trials. And use it to encourage your brothers and sisters. Not to rebuke them for feeling down. But to encourage them to put their focus on God. And let's do as the psalmist does and commit to praising him who is worthy to be praised because he is our salvation and our God. Let's pray.